0: Visit carp.ca.
1: Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Zneimer. Can you believe it's been 47 years since the Woodstock Music Festival? We'll talk with a Torontonian who was there and... How the age of your parents could hold the key to how long you might live. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. ALS, or Lou Gehrig's disease, is still a grim prognosis. Most patients die within two to five years after the onset of symptoms. But experts say the search for a treatment is gaining speed. The chairman of the Canadian ALS Research Network at Sunnybrook Health Sciences Centre says researchers have isolated mutated genes behind ALS in some 10% of inherited or familial cases. Researchers hope this will lead to further genetic discoveries in the 90% of so-called sporadic cases, like the one that killed longtime MP Moril Boulanger. He died earlier this week 10 months after his ALS diagnosis. Boulanger was the first MP to use an electronic voice in the House of Commons reintroducing his private members bill to make the lyrics of O Canada more gender neutral and he served as honorary spokesperson for the ALS Society. The U.S. National Gallery of Art has returned a 200-year-old drawing to the heirs of an Austrian woman who had to sell it during the Second World War and later died in the Holocaust. The drawing by German artist Julius Schnorr von Karlsfeld had been owned by the artist's descendants for more than a century. Marianne Schmidl sold it in 1939 after she was declared Jewish by the Nazis. Although Schmidl was a Christian, her father was born Jewish. Her family last heard from her in 1942 when she was deported to the holding point for a concentration camp in Poland. A big happy birthday to one of the greatest actors of a generation. Robert Redford turned 80 this week. He started his acting career in 1960, taking on roles in several TV shows, including The Untouchables and The Twilight Zone. It wasn't until 1962 that he took his act to the silver screen, where he eventually starred in the films Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, The Sting, and Jeremiah Johnson. Redford was finally honored with an Oscar, for directing the film Ordinary People in 1981. And a 102 year old woman credits a beer a day for living such a long life. South Carolina's Millie Bowers will celebrate her 103rd birthday later this month. She tells reporters she thinks it's her one pint a day, every day at 4 p.m. that has allowed her to reach such a great age. I'm Libby Zneimer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. It's been 47 years since the Woodstock Music Festival in New York, when hundreds of thousands of people crammed onto a muddy farm to watch some of the biggest names in music history perform live.
0: By the time we got to Woodstock,
1: we were half a million strong And while Joni Mitchell may not have actually been there, she took a spot on the Dick Cavett show instead on the advice of her agent, her song did become the anthem of the festival. But Clay Boris, now a Toronto filmmaker, was there. How did you come to go to Woodstock?
2: Well, everybody was talking about it. By the time, a friend of mine, you know, he was a photographer and uh, he was actually teaching me photography. And uh, he said, "You know, uh, Woodstock's going on." And I said, "I don't know what that is." He said, "It's a it's going to be a rock festival. A whole bunch of people going to show up, like a hundred thousand or something." And I'm like, really? He said, "Yeah." He said, "You should go." He said, "I can't go. where you go?" And then, so I went with two cameras on my shoulders, and we had a we had a pass made up because we were we thought we had to pay. So, we had a pass made up and it said the Cabbage Town Press because I, I grew up in Cabbage Town.
1: So, you were going so as a freelance photographer? I was
2: going as a freelance photographer to take photographs. And uh, when we got there, all the fences were down. There was no entrance, per se. It's like we looked. I just saw this long fence and thousands of people and people just walking in towards the stage. So I did the same thing. I just walked towards the stage. Nobody ever asked us for a ticket or anything like that.
1: And uh, were you surprised by the numbers that you saw there?
2: I couldn't believe it. I <laughs> mean First of all, like we had somebody, a friend of a friend from Toronto I had knew somebody in New York, picked us up, Jovis there. So I started to get a little suspicious when there was like fifteen miles of cars bumper to bumper. And I thought, what is this? I'm just going into a farm to see a bunch of rock groups, you know. And uh, so when we came out and that fence was down, and I oversaw the whole area, which I took pictures of. I mean, there was s- so many people. I couldn't believe it. It was like I was in a dream world somewhere. It, nobody expected that at all.
1: Okay. And uh, you had kind of... Picked up a girl on the yeah. way there.
2: <laughs> no, what happened was I used to hang out in Yorkville like everybody did, right? So uh, I saw, I met, I, I think apparently I, I went to one girl first and I was, hey, you want to go to Woodstock? And she looked at me and went, no. So, oh, <laughs> you know, then I went uh, and I saw this other girl, real pretty. And uh, I said, hey, man, you want to go to Woodstock? She looked at me she goes, okay, sounds like fun. I said, well, okay. She says, when do we leave? I said, I don't know. I think it's tomorrow or the next day. We'll just go. And I got a friend. that has a friend that's going to pick us up. And how do we get there? So we had to fly. And the time you could get a student uh, uh, price for a flight for, it was $16. So it was $32 to go there and back by, by plane. couldn't believe it. You know, there were so many people that I ended up, I suggested to the girl that we tie a rope around each other from our, <laughs> our you know, around our waist. Because I had lost my buddies, and I said, you know what, they just disappeared. I don't know what the hell happened to them. We were all hanging out together. And so uh, we put a rope around each other, and uh, people would say, hey, what are you, man? Like, you own this chick? Are you—what is this? I'm like, what? People were saying things like that, but it was purely just so we wouldn't lose each other.
1: What's your recollection of the music and the atmosphere? Was it really kind of all
2: peace and love? Yeah, it really was peace and love. I mean, it was the thing I remember the most is like when the music finally started, and I mean, it was Richie Havens came out first, and then Joan Baez. And these were people I'd never heard of before. I had never heard Joan Baez. She came out; her voice was like an angel. It was it was like being a surreal world. And then you know Janis Joplin, I heard for the first time, and all these other people. It was like these were all groups, a lot of them that weren't very popular until Woodstock, and then we all then we all heard about. Them. I think a lot of people after Woodstock went out and bought albums of the people they heard.
1: Was the feeling peace and love among the people who were there to participate?
2: <laughs> yeah, it really was. I mean, you never felt threatened in any way. Um, You know, like nobody was violent. uh, Nobody was pushy. Um, People were just there to listen to the music.
1: What do you think when you think about it now? Would such a thing be possible now?
2: I don't see. I don't know. I I don't think it it would be possible now because uh, people would be aware of it too much. And because of cell phones and everything, everybody would talk and say, hey, don't come here. There's like half a million people. There's nowhere to park. There's no food. There's nothing.
1: You wouldn't have to tie a rope around your (laughs) buddies.
2: That's right. You could just use a GPS now.
1: And uh, what, from the experience, stayed with you or shaped you?
2: Well, I ended up taking a lot of photographs, which uh, to this day I still sell. And uh, as a matter of fact, I I sold uh, the picture of me, the girl with the rope to the Toronto Star when they did the article on me. And then I went on to become a filmmaker, and uh, so I became a film director. And Actually, I'd already done my first movie when I went to Woodstock.
1: And were you able to actually file any of those pictures sort of in time for newspapers?
2: Um, No, not really, you know, because at the time, I think there were so many people that took photographs... Uh, it didn't really mean anything. It's not until when the 40th anniversary came out, I started putting them on uh, online, and uh, you know, so people could buy them. And you know, once in a while, I sell one, which is great.
1: And so now, what do you think when you look back on it?
2: Um, well, when I look back, I, I can't believe that I was there, but I'm really happy I was there. And it's one of those things when you. People are talking, and they talk about Woodstock, and I say, I was there. And they go, what? It's like people, it's, it, people don't believe that you were. And I'm like, well, you know, why would I say I was there? But, but I've got the photograph to prove it. And then that shuts everybody up.
1: Okay, <laughs> Clay Boris, <laughs> thanks so much.
2: Hey, you're welcome. Thanks for having me.
1: That was Clay Boris, who joined us to talk about his experience at Woodstock 47 years ago this week. I'm Libby Zneimer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Coming up next, a study out of the U.K. that suggests if your parents get past a certain age, you will too.
0: You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca.
1: Welcome back to the Zoomer Weekend Review. I'm Libby Zneimer. Scientists have long suspected that the lifespan of parents holds clues to how long their own children will live. Now there's evidence from a new study which shows that if your mother and father reach their seventh decade, you probably will too. Dr. Janice Atkins, the lead researcher and medical fellow at the University of Exeter in England, joins us. Dr. Janice Atkins, thank you so much for joining us. Hi. What did
3: you find? So in our study, um, it was a large cohort of middle-aged adults that we were studying of almost 200,000 people. Um, And the basic relationship that we found is that the longer your parents live, the longer you're likely to live as offspring, and also the lower your risk of the number of cardiovascular conditions and also cancer.
1: According uh, to what I have on on the study, 70 seem to be the bar that you use, that if you have a mother or father who lives till 70, uh, your chances of living until 70 increase. Why did you set it at that
3: particular age? So we we didn't really set set it at that age. We looked at the overall trend across ages, but we saw in particular bigger effects in those parents um, that were above 70. And what we found is that parents that lived an extra decade beyond 70, the risk of death um, in the offspring decreased by 17% every decade of additional survival in the parents. And was that surprising? Um, I think we, we expected that, and previous studies have shown quite, quite similar results. Um, but the new thing about our study is that it's a lot bigger than any studies that have been published before. Um, and we also found that parents' length of life wasn't related just to offspring's length of life, but it was also related to several new cardiovascular conditions that haven't been shown before. Uh-huh, such as? So such as um, heart failure, such as atrial fibrillation, um, it was also linked to risk of stroke, risk of heart disease. So quite quite a few different cardiovascular conditions. So just can you just explain how it was correlated? Yeah, so the longer your parents live, the less likely your chance of developing one of those diseases in older age.
1: And uh, did you check to see what happened if they had the disease? Because often people can live a, a long time with, with those diseases.
3: So we just looked individually at a risk of disease and individually at death, but we didn't look at the, the combination of having a disease and then survival after that. But yeah, that would be an interesting thing to do, actually, in a follow-up study.
1: Uh huh. Again, I'm curious about the number 70 because these days that isn't considered particularly old.
3: Yeah, that's right. So I think if basically anything past 70, I guess, will seen as a benefit. So, as I mentioned, for a decade past 70, so if, you, if your parents live to 80, you've got a 17% decrease in risk. But if they live to 90, that would be doubled. So, 17 would move to a 34% decrease in risk of survival in the offspring. And
1: uh, one thing that's interesting here and that I actually have seen before is that... It kind of shows that the longer you live, the less likely you are to get really bad diseases like cancer or heart disease. Can you explain that,
3: please? Yeah, so I guess um, the biggest risk factor for a number of diseases like cancer and all the cardiovascular diseases is age itself. Um, so I guess, obviously, the people that are living longer um, are less likely to have got those diseases because the people that will have them. They may well die younger.
1: Okay. What is it
3: that protects it? Is it genetic? So we found that, as you might expect, it's a combination of two factors, really. It's both genetics and environmental factors. So um, we published a study earlier on in the year looking at parents' lifespan and genetics. Um, And the particularly important genetic factors seem to be ones which predispose to high blood pressure um, and high lipid levels. So obviously this is explaining why parents' lifespan is linked to some of the cardiovascular conditions. Um, But we also looked at a number of lifestyle variables because they may well be correlated between parents and the offspring in terms of having similar behaviours. And things like smoking and high alcohol intake and low physical activity, they all seem to help explain this relationship as well.
1: What conclusion do you have in terms of uh, what we can all do to make sure we live longer? Well, I
3: think the main message here to take is that although the general tendency is if your parents live longer, you live longer, there is quite a lot you can do. even though your genetics are obviously predetermined before birth, as I mentioned, some of the genetic factors are related to blood pressure and cholesterol. Um, and those are two things that we can try and um, make more beneficial ourselves through, through healthy living. So, you know, healthy eating, trying to smoke and drink less, trying to do more activity. So, I think there is a really positive message here that you can try and improve your own risk of healthy aging um, by doing all those kind of healthy living type activities.
1: Okay. Dr. Janice Atkins, thanks so much. Okay, thank you very much. That was Dr. Janice Atkins from the University of Exeter Medical Centre. I'm Libby Zneimer and you're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. After the break, this week marked the final concert for The Tragically Hip, playing their last show in their hometown of Kingston, Ontario. We'll have the story of Gord Downie when we return.
0: You're listening to the Zoomer Weekend Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca.
1: Welcome back to the Zoomer Weekend Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. It's time for your International Arts Datebook, tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Jane Brown.
4: The Edinburgh International Book Festival, on now till the end of the month, is featuring a theatre adaptation of short stories by Canadian Nobel laureate Alice Munro. The view from Castle Rock imagines the experiences of Munro's Scottish ancestors, who sailed to Canada in 1818. Munro is considered the world's greatest living short story writer. In London, the Old Vic is playing host to a musical adaptation of Bill Murray's classic 1993 film Groundhog Day. Danny Rubin wrote both the film and the stage show, which is receiving rave reviews. At the Art Institute of Chicago, curator Michael Raz Russo has mounted an exhibit called Invisible Man, Gordon Parks and Ralph Ellison in Harlem to honor two major figures in American art and literature. It runs through August 28th. And in Los Angeles, there's a new sculpture in Echo Park that honors the city's gun violence victims. The 20-foot-wide memorial is made from residue soaked up from locations where the victims died. I'm Jane Brown, and that's the International Arts Datebook. The Tragically Hip played their final
1: concert in Kingston, Ontario last night, marking the end of an era in Canadian music. The band announced earlier this year this tour would be their last after frontman Gord Downie announced he'd been diagnosed with terminal brain cancer. The Man Machine Poet Tour, starting in Victoria and ending in the band's hometown, was a chance for Canadians to wish Gord well and to celebrate more than three decades of the hip's music. The band was founded in 1984 and released 14 studio albums, finding success in the late 80s and early 90s with the release of Up To Here, Road Apples, and Fully Completely. Over the years, the Tragically Hip won 14 Juno Awards and nine of the band's albums reached number one on the Canadian charts. Let's hear one of the band's best-known hits that's become something of an anthem for this year's tour. Here's Courage by The Tragically Hip. That was Courage by The Tragically Hip. And that brings us to the end of another edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Zneimer. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide.
0: You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. Produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer Moses Neimer. Produced by Dave Woodard and Paul Thomas. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review. Heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network. Home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air